Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Thank you for joining our live stream Shabbat service. Uh, it's so good to be with you uh, today. We're going to continue on looking at the book of Jude. And I actually want to open up today with a couple quotes uh, from two men, uh, about around 170 years apart. The first quote I want to share with you is from Noah Webster, that uh, uh, forgotten founding father, that uh, man who had so much to do, had such a great impact on shaping this country and the direction that it would go. A direction that I will tell you that has unfortunately been abandoned today. But listen to what he says. He says this, The Christian religion in its purity, notice he does not say in its corrupted state uh, or in, in a state of compromise, he says, the Christian religion in its purity is the basis, or rather the source, of all genuine freedom in government. In other words, Noah Webster recognized, man, our source of our freedoms and our liberties, this beautiful thing we call a republic, this beautiful thing we call America, he's pointing you, do you know where this comes from? Do you know where we get this? It's from one place. It's from the Word of God. It's from truth. It's from Scripture. That's where we get this. Now he goes on and he says, And I am persuaded that no civil government of a Republican form, and I want to be clear something, uh, he's not using Republican in, in, in a context of how we understand it today because it doesn't mean a whole lot today. He's using it in the context of a government that is shaped as a republic. All right? So he says, I am persuaded that no civil government of a Republican form can exist and be durable in which the principles of that religion have not a controlling influence. In other words, if Judeo-Christianity is not the primary source that is influencing government and the affairs of men throughout society, you are going to have a serious problem. Instead of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you're going to have tyranny and oppression. Therefore, it is Scripture, it is the Word of God, the goodness that we see in His Word that brings about liberty and freedom. Well, now we fast forward into the 1960s, a time when communism is starting to infiltrate and certain men are starting to blow the whistle, like John Stormer, who writes the following. He says, The weapons of hate and fear by which the collectivists, in other words, communists, have moved a generation of Americans to sell their freedom and integrity for security, would never have worked had American roots and basic Judeo-Christian traditions not first been severed. In other words, what John Stormer was saying is our liberty and our freedom was impenetrable, indestructible, when in fact this society and its government clung to the living God, when it clung to the name of Jesus and to Yeshua, and when we held fast the principles as being taught by him, our liberty and freedom was assured. But you remove that, and what do you have? You, you separate us from listening to God. All you're going to have is tyranny and oppression. Well, this brings us to what Jude said to us last week, looking at verse 4 again, certain men have crept in unnoticed who turned the grace of God into lewdness. Now, what is the connection here? What is the point I want to make? The point I want to make is this. Listen to me carefully. Jude, what Jude is conveying is so heavy and is so weighty that it impacts entire nations. Nations rise and fall with the church, with the condition of the church. If you have a healthy functioning church, per se, in the America, in, in you know, the America we used to know, going back in the day, the only reason we became the superpower we are today is because of our Judeo-Christian heritage. It's because of the word. It's because of the name of Jesus, because of the name of Yeshua, because we clung to him. And we allowed his word, we allowed him to speak to our hearts and to govern our ways. And we become blessed, more blessed than any nation on earth. 
We rose to be this great superpower. But if the church is compromised, and, and this is literally what Jude is talking about, the church is getting compromised. We have false prophets, false teachers coming in, and they're compromising the church. People are following their teachings and their ways, which are leading them away from the ways of God. What can we expect to happen? Not only do you have, maybe, maybe you have this picture in your head, or you're just thinking of, oh, you know, if a little community gets uh, invaded by these, you know, th that community is going to fall. Oh, no, 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 no. It's way bigger than that. Do you understand the ripple effects that happen? An entire nation can fall. And we are literally seeing that today. I mean, that's why these words that Jude is speaking are so tangible. This is why we're in this predicament we're in. Is because the church got compromised. And see, here's the thing. When, when you see some Christians in one community start grabbing hold of a particular teaching that's taking them away from the Word of God, oh, it has this godless and supernatural way of spreading to other communities and then spreading to other communities and other Christians because, oh, they identify as Christians, but they're doing this, and that's kind of okay. And you know what? I want to do that too. Do you see? So, so I share these things because I, I, I cannot overemphasize or overstate the dramatic nature of what Jude has brought to the table. This is as intense as it gets. You know, you want to let the wolves take over? There is going to be hell to pay and a discussion. That being said, uh, as we continue in Jude's discourse, we're going to move on. Uh, I'm actually going to read the, the next three verses collectively. We're going to read these together. And we'll start in verse 5, obviously. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness. For the judgment of the great day. Verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these have given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Okay, so looking at these verses collectively, 5, 6, and 7. You know, Jude is basically conveying, he's conveying a couple things. And number one, uh, obviously this is a stern warning. A warning that don't you dare fall into the trap of what these men are teaching and what they're teaching others. Don't you dare fall into this. You need to go back and you need to look at a little bit of history because this is going to be your future. You allow these men to speak into your life and they will bring you to your death. It's that simple. The other thing is that Jude is doing here, and this is, this is significant to me, is Jude has taken us back in time to three specific moments. And, and just to simplify it, it is the time of Israel in the wilderness. It is a time... Uh, where he talks about the fallen angels. They didn't keep their proper domain. And it is a time of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I'm going to tell you, we're going to get into each one of these in great depth. There's a lot to talk about. Okay, you know, as Jude's writing to his audience, his anticipation is, is my audience knows what I'm talking about. They know the depth. They know the backstory. Well, there are things to each one of these that we need to appreciate if we're actually going to walk away really feeling the weight of Jude's message. And we'll get to that. But first, what I want to point out is Jude is using, and I say this loosely, but really he's using a literary device. A, a, a device to implement the fear of God into your life. It's a device, it's a structure which the Jewish people were well acquainted with long before Jude ever comes on the scene. This type of structure, they were used to hearing this from teachers. 
They were used to being admonished with these very words. And I just want to bring to the table and let you know just how common this was, that, that what Jude has done here, he's borrowing this from his ancestors. And so I'm going to take you back to the Apocrypha. And I'm going to begin by taking you to the book of Sirach, which we have already looked at within this series. And in that book, you're going to see that Ben Siri uses the very same structure that Jude uses. The only thing is, is, you know, we're now talking about the book of Sirach is actually the oldest uh, book written in the Apocrypha. And this goes back well into 2nd century B.C. B.C. Well, look at what it says here. In an assembly of sinners, a fire is kindled, and in a disobedient nation, wrath blazes up. He did not forgive the ancient giants who revolted in their might. Now, here's the thing. You know, remember Jude was talking about these, these fallen angels, right? Well, that story is directly connected to the giants because the giants are the fruit of those fallen angels. That's very important as we continue. Verse 8, then the writer brings this up. He did not spare the neighbors a lot. In other words, Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Whom he loathed on account of their arrogance. He showed no pity on the doomed nation, on those dispossessed because of their sins. Verse 10, and on the 600,000 foot soldiers who assembled in their stubbornness. Now, what you need to appreciate is, okay, so he's talking about the giants directly tired uh, attached to the angels. Then he moves to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, and now he's talking about the 600,000 foot soldiers. What is he referring to here? The exact thing that Jude is referring to, Israel in the wilderness. As you go back to the Torah, you'll, you'll recognize that a census was commanded, and they were to number all the men of war, men over 20 years old and older, and that number was just over 600,000. And so it's very very significant uh, what we're reading here. It's the same thing that Jude brought to the table. Uh, ben Sira brings to the table and it's for a purpose. It is to rattle you to the core. It is to remind you of you want to fall into sin. You want to fall into deception. You want to fall into the dictates of your own heart. You want to be compelled by others. You will die. You, it is certain, it is a factual certainty, a historical certainty, you will, be, you will experience the wrath of God. This is nothing that we want to experience. Let me take you to 3rd Maccabees, also in the Apocrypha, or at least by some uh, considered in the Pseudepigrapha. It says this, You destroyed those who in the past committed injustice, among whom were even giants. And again, giants being attached to, right, the fallen angels. Who trusted in their strength and boldness, whom you destroyed by bringing on them a boundless flood. You consumed with fire and sulfur the people of Sodom, who acted arrogantly and who were notorious for their vices. And you made them an example to those who should come afterward. Almost verbatim, exactly what Jude says when he's commenting on Sodom and Gomorrah. He literally says, these are set forth as an example. I mean, almost verbatim using the same terminology in the exact same context. And so, I mean, it's, this is one of those moments you can't make this stuff up. What you see is this was, there was a pattern in Jewish culture, traditionally speaking, that this was a type of teaching that was very, very well known and obviously utilized for its success. That this is a message that has the power to wake you up. Now it continues, verse 6, because this, this is a structure here in, in the book of Maccabees, 3rd Maccabees. You made known your mighty power by inflicting many and varied punishments. On the audacious Pharaoh who had enslaved your holy people, Israel. And so he goes through all the same points, in essence, that Jude does 
Now, this last point, instead of going to Israel in the wilderness, he takes it back a little further and goes to Israel in Egypt and reminds us of the judgment that came upon the Egyptians. But the structure is the same. It is the same in the book of Sirach. And nay, I say it is the same in our companion epistle, Peter's second epistle, uh, who we know gives the same sermon that Jude does. And let me show you that structure. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemn them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Almost verbatim, Peter and Jude saying the same thing as we find being said in the Apocrypha. Now, here's where I'm going to get to my point. I'm not simply just trying to show you a pattern or this literary device, which is very useful, uh, had been useful uh, traditionally, amongst the ranks of the Jewish people who fear their God, who want to follow him. In every one of these examples I gave you, whether it been Sirah, whether Third Maccabees, or even in Peter, you will notice something. Uh, there's a pattern with all of them. All of them had brought forth these stories in chronological order. Now you can go back and you can look at this. In other words, as I read from Genesis and I just continue on, chronological events are laid out story after story of story. You will notice that each one of these structures are based on a chronological, chronological order. They're very, very organized. Here's what's fascinating. Jude does not follow that order. He does something extremely unique. And we know, uh, again, the scholars talk about how polished the Greek is, how well written this epistle really is. Well, this is a significant fact. This is worthy of note. To a Jew in the first century, there, you know, there's no question about it. They would have recognized what Jude had done here, that he is not following a chronological order. He is coming out of order. And what does he put first? Well, let's go back to this. Let's look at this in verse 5. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved his people, the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. See, he's come out of the order. The first thing he puts to the forefront, the first story he want to takes you back to, is Israel being destroyed in the wilderness. Now think about that. Isn't that interesting? Here we know Jude has brought to the table in verses 3 and 4, that we got a serious situation on our hands. It is devastating. We need to move. We need to fight for war. All right, we need to fight and defend the faith. And the first thing he comes out is a story about the church, in a sense, about Israel, the children of God. It's the first story he comes out with. And it isn't just anything. What happened to them? Well, here's the backdrop. Here's the story. God goes and gets his people in Egypt, which Egypt metaphorically is representative of this world and the bondage and oppression of the devil. Israel was under the bondage and oppression of Pharaoh. But through his mighty hand, through the blood of the lamb. And again, we, we, we have Passovers coming up. It's coming up upon us and when you read the Passover story, you read about all these judgments, Israel's never delivered. Doesn't matter how much power God displays upon Egypt. He's pounding them. And Pharaoh does not let Israel go. It wasn't until the, the blood of the lamb was shed. And then immediately Israel is taken out of the land. I mean, it's the gospel story and it's the whole gospel story. Because the lamb's blood, blood is shed. They all believed... 
All Israel, we don't have commentary stating otherwise. All the children of Israel believed, oh, the blood of the lamb will deliver us. And so they put the blood of the lamb on the door. And then what happens? They're taken out of oppression and they receive baptism. Exactly how we would do it today in the gospel. We receive the blood of Yeshua. We confess him. We confess our sins. We know he can save us. And we move into baptism. Israel moves into the baptism through the Red Sea. And then what do they do? They come to the mountain and they receive the things that they ought to do and the things that they ought not to do. They receive the commandments of God. Oh, and then they're brought in to a barren wasteland, a wilderness with serpents and scorpions where there is no water, there is no food. And they are tried and they are tested. And this is Jude's point. This is what's so scary. As Jude's point was, look at all the salvation and deliverance Israel experienced. God saved them. The very same God that saved them turned around and destroyed them. Now this is just, again, building upon the scariest version of warfare imaginable. to, to, To respond to the scariest version of warfare imaginable, Jude brings the scariest version of losing your salvation imaginable. Which, let me be very clear. You know, for those that that believe in this once saved, always saved theology, Jude is telling you right now, don't you dare believe it. Don't, Don't believe because you authentically and truly came into a relationship with Christ at some point in your life. You totally, fully dedicated to him. But then, you know, you're no longer doing the things that you used to do. You no longer pray as much as you used to pray. You no longer read the word like you used to read the word. And really, you're no longer walking in his commandments. You're no longer loving the Lord your God with all your heart and nor your neighbor as yourself. And you, you just faded away. But in your mind, conceptually, you still, oh, absolutely, you know, I go to church on Sunday and I, I still believe in Jesus. Or you may go to church on Saturday. You may be going to the, the Messianic synagogue. Whatever the case may be, do not for a moment convince yourselves that it really doesn't matter what I do or how I behave. It's not going to affect it because I said a prayer one time. I walked with the Lord. I know I walked with the Lord. And I seen the fruit of his spirit in my life. Jude is telling you to back it up for a moment. And he's telling you, you better right now throw caution to the wind. Because Israel experienced all of it. They experienced wonders. They experienced miracles. They experienced the blood of the Lamb. They experienced baptism and receiving the fire. I mean, they saw fire. And actually, traditionally, the rabbis talk about tongues of fire came down on Mount Sinai as the Holy Word of God was being spoken. And it was spoken in all 70 languages of the world. Absolutely incredible. And so what Jude is bringing to the table here, uh, this is something that we need to listen to carefully, especially right on the heels. He's dovetailing this statement with the fact that the church is being breached. The church is being compromised. I want to... uh, take you to the Torah. And there's a story here that I want to bring to the table because as you look at what Jude says here, if you look closely at it, it appears that Jude is really focusing on one particular moment in the Torah, although what he's saying you could find throughout the Tanakh. But there's one particular moment that he is drawing from, and you'll see this as we look at this. But it's actually found in the book of Numbers in chapter 14. And really the story actually begins in chapter 13. You remember, you know, the Lord commands Moses, hey, you need to send out spies to go spy out the land of promise. And let, I want I want to, you know, they're sending the spies out because they need to know whether the inhabitants are strong or they're weak, whether uh, do they live in tents or do they live in fortified cities? Is the land good or bad? Is there good food there? 
What does the land look like? And so, you know what? Send out 12 spies. And these were leaders. And this is important for our story. He is sending out the leaders, the shepherds, the heads of all the tribes. So these aren't nobodies. These aren't people that are not renowned. These are not people that are not revered. These are people that are receiving the highest honor within each respected tribe. Well, these these 12 spies go out and they come back and they say, yeah, the land, man, this is flowing with milk and honey. Look at this fruit. The fruit was incredible. You could tell this was a land blessed by God. The only problem is, is 10 of the spies said, there's no way we're taking this land. The inhabitants are way too strong. And we're not looking at a bunch of people living in tents. They're in fortified cities. We don't stand a chance. We are grasshoppers in their sight. This message of these teachers, of these shepherds, is supposed to be pastoring their flocks, has an incredible influence, impact, on the community, on the congregation at large. And this is where we're going to pick it up. We're going to go to Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And the people wept that night. It's interesting. The uh, Jewish tradition talks about the fact that, you can read this in the Targums, it talks about the fact that this happened on the ninth of Av. As they're weeping at night, as they had received, they'd actually, the, 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 the spies had come back, these leaders of the respective uh, tribes of Israel had come back on the 8th and as they go into that night and they begin to weep, it's the ninth of Av that they had totally fully embraced a false teaching there's no other way to articulate it it was a false teaching and so verse 2 and all the children of Israel complained against Moshe and Aharon, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. And they're looking at the situation. It's totally hopeless. So every word that these leaders, these teachers had spoken had fully been received. And they, they believe it. They believe the inhabitants, despite seeing with their own eyes, the beautiful fruit of the land. No, no, no. Because of the inhabitants, because of the fortified cities, because of what they're telling us, we're out of here. We are out of here. And it, it gets even more interesting as they receive this false word. If you go to Deuteronomy's version, and we've done this before, as you go to Deuteronomy chapter 1, it tells the very same story, and, and we get a little bit more information and there we realize that they actually said God has only brought us this far because he hates us. So we, re we receive this false testimony, this false teaching. And now our conclusion is, is, oh, God's word, God's voice can't be trusted. He has betrayed us and he's betrayed us because he only hates us. And so you see the effect. I mean, this is metastasizing like a cancer. This is spiraling out of control really quick. And yes, this is the exact place that the devil wants to put you. He wants to put you in this place where God is a betrayer of you. God doesn't love you. And the only reason the things that you're experiencing are because God hates you. It's, it's absolutely vile. Verse 3. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Isn't that interesting? Again, Egypt, a reference metaphorically to your old life. It's to the world and to the oppression of being under the bondage of the devil. And because now they've come to the point because of bad teaching, they're like, well, let's just go back to the world. Let's go back to the way we used to do things. I mean, this is literally a dog returning to its vomit. This is what's happening. Verse 4, we continue. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Oh, man. 
I mean, these people have come on the scene and said, you know what? We're done listening to Moses. We're done listening to Aaron. And that's scary. Moses and Aaron were true shepherds speaking the word of God to them, speaking life, trying to sow life into them. They didn't want to listen to them anymore because the false teachers had come in. And they only wanted to receive their word. I mean, how scary is that? There's so many times that you can read the Apostle Paul or like in 2 Corinthians, he says, the more I love you, meaning the more I talk to you, the more I deliver truth to you, the less I am loved. And, and he says something very, very similar to Galatians as well. Do you hate me because I tell you the truth? I mean, this is the situation Moses and Aaron in. Do you hate us? We've told you the truth. God has commissioned you, commanded his promises upon you. Go up and take the land. And now they want to select another. We're not going to hear that. Now, we, we've heard these false teachers, even though they're not calling them false teachers, they're not identified as false prophets. These are respected, revered men who they see, oh, they care for us. They care about us and they don't want us to, to be destroyed. They don't want us to hurt. I mean, do you, do you see the intensity of this? Because if you were actually at that moment, I promise you, I can assure you what these false teachers, what these leaders had spoken would have jarred you. Because everyone's looking, well, they're looking out for our best interest. They really seem like it. And you know what? They're loved. Do you understand how deceptive this whole situation is? It's, I mean, you, you look at stories like this, it's so scary. You understand why Judah's bringing this to the table. Verse 5. Then Moshe and Aharon fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Yehoshua, the son of Nun, Ben Nun, and Caleb, the son of Yephuneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. The true shepherds were livid. And this beautiful call that Jude is calling, rise up, it is time to fight and defend the faith. This is exactly what they do. This is what they move to do. Verse 7, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel saying, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. So these true shepherds, they come on the scene, they fight to defend the faith, to fight against these false teachers, these false shepherds, and to tell them, trust in the living God. Trust in his word. Believe in the power of his word. Go in it. And then they add a warning. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Amazing. Two beautiful things. Don't you dare rebel against the word of the Lord. Don't fall into the trap. The very trap that Jude is looking at the church and he says, we got wolves that have come in and the sheep are being ripped apart. They're rebelling against God. Absolutely amazing. And the second thing, don't fear the people of the land. In other words, there's nothing that is to happen in this life is to take us off of the path of righteousness. Nothing you're going to feel inside your heart. All that fear that you may feel, we cannot give into it. And one thing I can guarantee you, I don't even need to tell you this, you will experience fear in this life. That is a given, that is an absolute positive thing that is going to happen. There's no question about it. You will feel fear. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Let the word of God speak louder to you and you will not be taken. You will not be taken to your death. I mean, this is the word of God. We can say this with absolute confidence. Verse 10. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. So how does the congregation re respond to these true shepherds coming on the scene, only speaking the truth of God's word? This is not their own opinion. 
If they were to rely on their own opinion, they would have joined them. How do they now? How did the congregation respond to this truth? They don't want to hear it. It's so fascinating as and you think about Paul, as, as we read last week, uh, where men would get tired of it because they had itching ears. They would run to these teachers and be turned away from the truth, be turned aside to fables. This is literally what is happening. The congregation, the body of Messiah is being infected. And now it will not hear the truth. I mean, this is, this is gut-wrenching. And then listen to this, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Moshe, How long will these people reject me, and how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them. Two things that are significant to walk away from in this passage. Number one, when you don't adhere and listen and obey the word of the Lord, the Lord likens it, and he just calls it out, calls it for what it is. You are rejecting him. You reject him. In other words, last week, going to last week, you hate him. You despise him. I mean, we need to have this perspective that every time we walk away from the word of the Lord or every time uh, you sear that conviction of the Holy Spirit that is pressing upon you, that is sharing the truth of his word, every time you turn your ear away from that, you are rejecting the Lord. Let that sink in. And then he says, the second thing he says, how long will they not believe me? See, this is, this is how we know. This is literally what Jude is thinking of. This is the context of what Jude is drawing upon. Their rebellion is equated to unbelief. The writer of Hebrews brings this very story to the table as he goes from the end of chapter 3 into chapter 4. Disobedience is equated to unbelief. And that's, again, we go back to last week, Psalm 19, verse 66. I believe in your commandments. It takes faith to keep the commandments of God. You will never keep that which you don't believe. I don't stick my finger in a light socket. Why? Because I believe it's going to hurt. I believe I could die. I don't throw rocks through windows because I believe uh, it's going to break the window. I mean, we could go on. thousand different analogies. There's things we don't do because we believe it. It's interesting. But when we read the word of God, we don't do it. It's because we don't believe it. I mean, unbelievable, right? Moving on to verse 23. You're going to see the response of the Lord, what happens when you reject him, when you do not believe in him, believe his word. This is what happens to the congregation. They certainly shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me See it. So scary. I mean, this is going right to Jude's point. All these people that were saved, Israelites saved out of Egypt, delivered by the blood of the Lamb, baptized through the Red Sea, brought near to him, saw the fire and the power of his presence, heard his voice, tongues of fire dropping down, listening to his word. Those very people the Lord turned back and destroyed. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, this whole concept of once saved, always saved, it is from the pit of hell, and it is ravaging Christianity right now. I have watched this ideology grow like cancer over the last decade in a way that I, I, I'm dumbfounded. I want to take you to Exodus 32, verse 32. Israel had sinned. Moses comes on the scene. He wants to intercede on behalf of Israel. And he says this, Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moshe, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. 
You may have said a prayer at one time. You may have received the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You may have been healed. You may have walked with God and that fire of your first love. But if you get comfortable, too comfortable in your faith where you begin to walk away and you give heed to false prophets and false teachers that tell you it's okay if you do this, everyone else is doing it. If you give heed to the tongue of the devil and you begin to break his commandments, do not think for one moment you are okay. And see, again, this is... Unfortunately, this is the reality that is plaguing the church today. The very thing that Jude is addressing is as real today as it was in his day. And I, I would argue more. Romans eleven twenty two, Paul says this, Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, hey, just consider the blessings and the promises, which we have to. It's part of your faith. It's part of my life. It brings me joy. We consider the goodness of God. His mercy, oh, I cherish his grace and his mercy of, without which none of us are saved. But I also must consider the severity of God. And look at what Paul says. He brings up the same thing Jude does. On those who fell severity what is he talking about on those who fell those who fell in the wilderness look at israel's history on those who fell severity but toward you goodness and here's the key if if you continue in his goodness otherwise you will be cut off there's a reason yeshua comes out and says he who endures to the end will be saved you have to run the race as only one is going to win. Apostle Paul tells this to the Corinthians. You don't, guess what? You have to run as only one can win. You, you have to be that one. You cannot drop out of the race. You can't slow down. You can't give up. And, and, and you can't compromise. I can't become complacent in my faith to the point where I start to take on water, the water of the world, and I start doing the things of the world. And you know, I start spending more time with the world. I start spending more time in TV. I start spending more time doing worldly things. God help us. We need this kind of clarity. We just need to listen to all this wisdom, both in the Tanakh and in the New Testament. We are inundated with the wisdom of God. And it's a cry. It's one cry after another, page after page, crying out. Do not reject Yeshua. Do not turn from him. Keep his commandments. Fear him. Tell people about Yeshua. I mean, this is, this is the, the, there's reoccurring themes, patternistic throughout the word. I want to take you to Ezekiel 18. One of my favorite passages when it comes to talking about this once saved, always saved. But when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live. All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin which he has committed. Because of them he shall die. It is telling you, don't you dare become complacent. Don't get comfortable in your faith. And, oh, you know what? My goodness, I have done such a good job in walking with the Lord, and I have done so much, and I have sacrificed so much, and it may be true, all of it, that you get to a point and say, you know what, I need a little something for myself now. I need a little time with the world. I need a little time just to let it all hang out. I'm not going to worry about, you know, my salvation. I'm not going to worry about losing my grace because look at everything I have done. Look at where I've been with the Lord. Look at the things he's accomplished through me. You're being warned. Do not even consider for one moment that your past is going to dictate your future if, in fact, you abandon the faith, if, in fact, you reject the Lord, if, in fact, you abandon the commandments of God. None of the righteousness. See, this is why Isaiah is talking about all the righteousness are like filthy rags. He is talking about explicitly this context where they may have done all their righteousness, but they have become as filthy rags. 
they're no longer noteworthy because of the sin that they're committing, the iniquity that they're embracing. This is the truth that we got to allow into our heart. And this will help you give you the strength to run the race the way we were meant to. And only in this state. You know, I've realized this, as I'm sure many of you have. Only when we're in this state of mind where we are running the race to our fullest is the name of Jesus Yeshua magnified. It's only in those moments do we give him glory. And man, when you get closer and closer to the Lord, that's what it's about. It's about bringing him glory. That is our thanksgiving offering to him. And we're to bear fruit worthy of repentance. It's that fruit of thanksgiving we, we bring to him to honor him. Going on to verse 25, and this is amazing. It goes on and says, Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Now you think about that in the flesh. You can see how you would respond. I could see how I would naturally respond this way. Look at everything I've done for you, Lord. Are you just going to not acknowledge that just because I'm having a little bit of uh, me time over here? Because I, I'm, I'm catering to the flesh now? You're just going to do away with everything? That doesn't seem fair. Well, I mean, the Lord knows us. He knows you too well. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel, is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? Now you think about what Christ paid on the cross. And through that lens, man, these words, they hit hard as we go and just want to sin and want to enjoy just for a time the passing pleasures of sin absolutely totally forgetting the penalty the price Yeshua had to pay for us and that's gut-wrenching because we're so far off the mark and we're so clouded in our judgment it is when we have that the Pesach lamb Yeshua the Messiah in front of us it's at that moment that we will have that clarity. It's at that moment, man, it's easy to choose the good because of what he did for us. When a righteous man, that uh, man turns away, uh, away from his righteousness, commits iniquity and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. And so looking at Jude 1, 5, the Lord, having saved his people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Words spoken immediately following the breach of the church and these false prophets, these false shepherds going out, delivering their message, which is so seductive, so alluring. In essence, the the very basis of their message where they get their power from is that you can do these things. You can walk away from these commandments and it's okay. Let me tell you something. Is it any wonder why the devil has come in and totally taken the law of God away from the church? Because he, he, he wants to blind them. He wants them to walk away from his word. This is, this is the whole crux of it. And at the same time, believe they're saved. And Jude is warning, don't you dare follow in, uh, fall for these teachings that they're preaching. I just want to close and pray today. Abba, Father, it is to the name of Yeshua we give glory. That faithful sacrifice, that sacrifice that washes away sins to all who call upon his name, confess him with the mouth and believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead father it's through that name that we have hope that we have forgiveness it is that name by which we must champion a path of righteousness that we must stand on righteousness and for righteousness lord i just pray i pray for the corner fringe community for all those watching Lord, I pray for true conviction 
I pray for wisdom and understanding in these days. We need discernment. We need your word, but we need it written in our hearts that we might not sin against you. We need the gift you promised to send of your Holy Spirit. No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. For us to truly walk away with your understanding, it only happens through your Spirit. Lord, I call for an anointing according to your mercy and grace. I call for an anointing upon your people. I call for healing, for restoration, for forgiveness of sins, for conviction. I call for restoration of relationships. I call for bitterness and unforgiveness to be broken that are binding men and women in total bondage. They're in total delusion thinking they're totally fine, but in their heart they have not forgiven their brother. Or in their heart, they have not forgiven their sister. Lord, I call for bondages to be broken with those who suffer from addiction that are reeling. Whether it be alcohol, drugs, it could be pornography. Everyone who is in a state of these addictions, they're not walking in grace. They have not received the grace of God. And Lord, I, you are a long-suffering. You are merciful and gracious, long-suffering. You abound in goodness and truth. Lord, have mercy upon these people. Let them hear the gospel. Let them hear the name of your Son, Father, the name of Yeshua. And in the power of that name, may, may these bondages be broken as they call out to you, Lord, because they're not able to help themselves. All these people in addiction, they're not able to get out of it. If they were, they would just naturally do it. They need your help. They need people like us, Lord, interceding and praying for them. Uh, to call to your remembrance as the four men brought the paralytic. They brought him to you. Uh, Lord, this day we bring these people that are hurting and suffering and they don't have the strength. And they're asking you, Lord, for help. In the power of your name, Lord Yeshua, move among these people. Bring in the harvest, Lord. Now is the time that you raise up a righteous remnant of warriors for righteousness that are so proud of the name of Jesus, Yeshua. They're so thankful for what he has done that they can't stop talking about him, that we talk about your son, Father, when we walk by the way, when we lie down and when we rise up. Glorify your son, Father. Glorify him in us, in our testimonies, and in our actions because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we just pray this in the mighty name of Yeshua. We just invite you um, to call in to our prayer line. If you need prayer, uh, we're going to have people standing by uh, waiting to pray with you. If you'd like to email us uh, certain things that are going on in your life that you want our prayer teams praying for on a regular basis, we just ask you to do that as well. We have a place for that on our website. Uh, you can fill out those forms. And uh, I just thank you guys for joining us on this blessed Shabbat and uh, bless you.